Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would open up a Bible to Proverbs chapter 14, Proverbs the 14th chapter, we're going to read one verse there in just a moment that'll get us started and really will kind of lay a good foundation for all the things that we're going to talk about this morning from the Word of God. Proverbs the 14th chapter. Let's get those Bible pages turning or get those Bible apps clicking. Let's all be looking in God's Word together. It is great to see everybody on this beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day morning. So grateful for your presence. Really grateful for the presence of our, our visitors. Grateful for the presence of our members. Don't say that uh, enough. Uh, just what a joy it is for us to all be together here in one place and to give God the honor and glory that He is so richly deserving of and at the same time encourage and build one another up. Quick programming note. Tonight is Q&A. And in preparation for that... I would actually like your help. If you have not already, I would like for you to locate this little card that is located in the rack in the foyer. And if you would take just a minute to fill it out. It's kind of a questionnaire, survey sort of thing. It's not a quiz. It's not a test. Don't write your name on it. Don't put all kinds of extra comments on it. Just give some quick like check marks in one of the boxes. It's pretty self-explanatory. Fill that out and drop that in the box, if you will, because that's going to help us in preparation for tonight's sermon about gambling. Always get lots of questions about gambling, and so if you'll fill that out, you'll get to take part uh, in the sermon this evening. Right now, though, it's Proverbs, the 14th chapter. Read with me, if you will, in verse number 12. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, the wise man says there, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The book of Proverbs is a wonderful and unique book of the Bible. It is a book that majors in wisdom, and it shows its readers the best way to live, how to navigate through life in the very best way possible. One of the recurring notes in the book of Proverbs is that God's recipe for how to live in the best possible way is often very, very different from what we as human beings might think or might subscribe to. In other words, God's wisdom is often set in contrast to conventional wisdom. You know what conventional wisdom is, don't you? Conventional wisdom is really any idea that is just generally accepted as true by the public at large. Here is this belief, here is this opinion, here is this idea that is just so widely held. It is so widely subscribed to that it goes unquestioned, it goes unchallenged until finally everybody just kind of agrees and says, yep, that's the way it is, that's that's just the way that goes. For example, there was a time when conventional wisdom said that the earth is flat. That's right. That's what conventional wisdom used to say, that the earth was flat. Enough people believed that. Enough people started saying that. Not enough people were investigating that claim to where eventually it just became the prevailing truth in people's minds. The only problem was, it wasn't true. And that is the danger of conventional wisdom. It sounds good, it looks logical and legitimate, it seems right, Proverbs 14 verse 12. But when you look at it closely, when you put it under the microscope of God's Word, the ultimate source of truth, it doesn't seem all that true, and in fact, it doesn't seem all that wise. And that's why I'm so thankful for books like Proverbs. Because Proverbs is willing to speak up 
to shout out and to challenge the conventional wisdom of our day and time. While the world's over here saying, oh, this seems like a good idea. This seems like the way to go. Proverbs is there to say, yeah, you would think that. That's exactly what you would think, but you'd be dead wrong about it. That's not what you need to do. You don't need to be thinking in those terms because that way, that way is the way of death. This morning, I'd like to use the Word of God to challenge the conventional wisdom of our day and time concerning an often controversial subject. A subject that I believe many people, yes, even some of God's own people, have been led astray by because according to human wisdom, well, it just seemed right. It just seemed okay. This morning what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about alcohol. And I want to do that this morning by first of all sharing with you what conventional wisdom says about the recreational use of alcohol. And then I want to set that in stark contrast to what God in His wisdom says about the recreational use of alcohol. And as I said a moment ago, I know that that can be a very controversial subject for some folks. I know of Christians. I know of Christians who will contend that it is okay to unwind and to have a drink. It's okay to go out to a fancy restaurant and order a nice meal. It's okay to order a big nice bottle of wine with that. It's okay to be out with your buddies and have a couple of beers. And I suspect that as I'm talking this morning, I suspect that there might even be people in this room right now who are going to disagree with the things that I'm going to say today. In fact, there may even be people in this room who think they just already know what I'm going to say today. But what I cannot believe, and what I will not believe, is that you don't want to know what God has to say about this subject. I just cannot believe that. We are the people of God. And if God has a warning to sound, if God has something to say that directly contradicts the conventional thinking of our culture, then we want to hear that, don't we? I want to hear everything that God has to say about that because I am committed and I trust that you are committed to living His way, not living in the way that leads unto death. So this morning, I want us to hear those warnings. I want us to use God's Word to counter the conventional wisdom that permeates our society about alcohol. And that begins with this first pearl of conventional wisdom that says that alcohol, well, alcohol is your friend. Alcohol is your friend, and what it does is alcohol opens up the door to a good time, and it opens up the door to the good life. Alcohol manufacturers engage in every kind of advertising possible. You've seen the commercials before, whether in print or on the internet or on television, all the advertisements. What's the message of pretty much every single advertisement made by an alcohol manufacturer? The message is alcohol makes life good. There's always kinds of shiny things and happy things and frolicking taking place in those ads. In fact, if you've ever watched a football game, it's starting to be football season again. If you've ever watched a football game on television, that constant loop of beer commercials throughout the game would have you to believe that it's just impossible to have a good time without drinking a beer. 
You think, for example, about that ad campaign that's been popular here in recent years for, for Dos Equis. Remember those commercials? That's one that kind of went into the popular culture. The, the Dos Equis guy, the, the most interesting man in the world. Remember those commercials? What's the message of those commercials? The message is, is if, if you drink this beverage, then your life can be interesting. Your life can be fun. Your life can be thrilling. Your life can be exciting just like this guy. You'll be the life of the party. Hot babes will be hanging on your arm. People will be interested in every single word that you have to say. Your life will be amazing. In fact, do you remember that ad campaign that old Milwaukee had a few years ago? The tagline of that ad campaign was, Life doesn't get any better than this. There it is. Alcohol is your friend. Alcohol leads to a good time and the good life. You know, I actually wanted to be able to illustrate this by putting some images of some beer advertisements and alcohol advertisements. I wanted to be able to put that on the screen this morning, but I couldn't. Because it's hard to find any advertisement that doesn't include scantily clad women, people down on the beach half naked, revelry, sexually suggestive and provocative material. You know why that is? You know why that stuff is in those advertisements? Because the conventional wisdom of our day says that the way to have a good time is just throw off restraint, to lower your inhibitions, give in to your carnal base desires, drink alcohol. However, this morning... I'm not interested in conventional wisdom. I'm interested in God's wisdom. And what God's book of wisdom says emphatically is that alcohol is not your friend. In fact, here in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says flat out that alcohol is unwise. Maybe the term we might be more familiar with would be the word foolish. Look in Proverbs chapter 20. Just turn over a couple pages. In Proverbs chapter 20, look in verse 1. In Proverbs 20 and verse 1, the wise man says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. We'll see that again. Turn over to chapter 23. In Proverbs chapter 23, see if this particular description of alcohol, see if this sounds like something that you would describe as a friend. In Proverbs chapter 23, read with you beginning in verse 29. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Answer verse 30. Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Verse 31. Don't look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Because in the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Like the one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I wasn't hurt. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Let's just, let's just stop right there. I think we could end the sermon right here. Don't get your hopes up, we're not. But I think if we ended it right here, this would be more than enough for a Christian to say, that's something I can't be involved in. That is, there's no way I can be involved in drinking alcohol. 
There is no way I believe that any child of God could look, first of all, at all of the debauchery that is depicted in the advertisements by the very people who make this stuff, Couple that then with the clear warnings of Scripture here about the woes that are associated with alcohol. No child of God can look at all that, put all that together, and then come away thinking anything except, nope, nope, can't do that. Got to stay away from that. Can't, that is incompatible with my walk with Jesus the Christ. Especially when you consider all that the Bible has to say about sobriety and sober-mindedness. In fact, in the New Testament, one of the most frequent commands, second only to love one another, is the command to be sober. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, we're just going to grab one of those passages. In 1 Thessalonians 5, look in verse number 6. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and in verse 6, Paul says here, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake, And be sober. Verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Paul is describing in these passages the warfare that Christians are engaged in. He would go on to say some things about the breastplate of righteousness and so on and so forth. And what Paul recognized is that Christians are squarely in the crossfire of sin and temptation. Which is why he says that keeping your wits about you, remaining sober of mind, that is absolutely essential. Sobriety, that's your friend, not alcohol. Sober-mindedness is necessary in order for us to practice self-control. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you, you have never seen... And in fact, you will never see an advertisement for an alcoholic beverage that says, drink this, you'll be more sober-minded. Drink this, you'll have more self-control. You're never going to see that advertisement. And why? Because that's not the way alcohol works. Look in James chapter 4 with me. In James chapter 4, you think for just a moment about the way that, just the way that alcohol is marketed to people. And you tell me where that fits here in James chapter 4 verse 4. In James 4 and verse 4, James says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I'm asking you this morning, where does alcohol fit in that equation? The world says alcohol is your friend, and I guess by their definition it is your friend. But it is not the kind of friend that you want. Because anything that will make you less sober, anything that's going to fuzz up your decision-making processes, anything that's going to open you up to do things that a Christian should not do, anything that's going to create enmity between you and your God, that is an easy no thank you. Not having any of that. The Bible says loud and clear that it is not wise to be messing around with alcohol. Even as I say that, though, I know what somebody's probably thinking. Somebody's probably thinking, well, Josh, I've read those verses in Proverbs before. I've even read those verses in 1 Thessalonians and all the other passages in the New Testament about, about that sort of stuff. And you know what? Those verses aren't just talking about drinking, just having a drink. 
Josh, those verses are talking about drunkenness. And of course, that is exactly what conventional wisdom says. That the Bible only condemns drunkenness because there's nothing wrong with just having a drink or two. But I believe that God's wisdom says that there's a whole lot more to this than just looking for an explicit, thou shalt not ever have a single drink. Now, it certainly is true that drunkenness is condemned in Scripture. I don't want to just take for granted that everybody knows that this morning. Let's just actually get that on the table in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, in this list of what is referred to as the works of the flesh, in Galatians chapter 5, I'm reading here in verse 19. In Galatians 5 and in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Verse 20 gives a long list. Verse 21 now. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness was in that list there. And so it is absolutely true that God condemns drunkenness and He says the people that are involved in drunkenness, they ain't going to heaven. They are going to be condemned. But is that the end of the story? That you can drink alcohol as long as you don't become drunk. Now that certainly sounds logical. That certainly sounds fine. But you know, in order to sustain that train of thinking, a person is going to have to know where the line is. Because as long as I'm on this side of the line, I'm okay. But as soon as I step over that line, then I become intoxicated, now I'm in sin, and now I am condemned. No Christian, I believe, would ever want to step over that line. If you're a Christian this morning, raise your hand if you think you'd, you'd, you'd be fine stepping over that line. That's what I thought. No Christian would want to step over that line. But here's the question. Where is that line? Where is that line between just having a drink and becoming intoxicated? Where's that line at? That is, you should know, that's a very difficult question to answer. Our federal government has mandated that states use the blood alcohol standard of 0.08%. That means that if you get pulled over and the cop has you blow on that breathalyzer and it's 0.08% or more, you are considered legally drunk. You are impaired. You're probably going to go to jail. But you should know that that 0.08% standard, that's actually kind of dubious. If you're driving in Hungary or Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, or Morocco, or the Czech Republic, the standard in those places is zero. In Sweden, it's 0.02%. In Germany, it's 0.05%. In fact, you can get on Wikipedia and you can see just a wide variety of different standards in different places that you go. You see, not even the experts can agree on where you draw that line. Furthermore, in some fields, there's no discussion whatsoever about that line. If you are a commercial airline pilot, you cannot consume any amount of alcohol 24 hours before you fly. None. Somebody maybe says, well, come on, not, not even just one little drink? You know, conventional wisdom says, hey, that's not going to do harm, just one little drink. Well, let me ask you, if you're at the airport and before you board your flight, you happen to notice that the pilot is in the lounge sipping on a cocktail... Are you getting on that plane? If you're scheduled for surgery and you go into the surgery room 
And the doctor says, phew, this is a pretty serious surgery here today. Pretty complex. Feeling lots of pressure on me today. This is really tense. I think I need a drink to kind of take the edge off things. I'm going to go over here and have me a martini. Let me ask you, you letting that guy cut on you? See people nodding their heads, no. Well, why not? He's not drunk. It's just one drink. Conventional wisdom says that it'll be just fine. Any medical expert will tell you that trying to draw that line, it is extremely difficult. It depends on all kinds of things. Lots of variables. It depends on how much you're drinking. It depends on how fast you're drinking. It depends on how much food is in your stomach. It depends upon your body weight, your age. All kinds of different things. Conventional wisdom says we don't have to pay attention to the Bible's warnings about alcohol as long as we're not drunk. But you see, it's not so easy to figure out where that line of drunkenness comes in as we might think. And I want you to understand very clearly that I don't know where that line is. I don't know where that line is for you. Do you know what? If you are drinking... You better know where that line is. Otherwise, you're going to cross that line. And we all agree, this is the one thing we can all agree on, that if you cross that line, that would be sinful, that would be wrong, you would be condemned. You see, it's just hard to say where that line is. The truth of the matter is, the New Testament is not composed of long lists of thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that. That is the construct of the Old Testament in many ways. But under the law of Christ, you're not going to find a whole bunch of don't do this and don't do that on every single thing that the Lord wants us to stay away from. What the New Testament does contain, though, are principles. Principles that are largely embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Principles that cover a broad range of conduct and attitudes. Principles that the Lord wants us to employ using our God-given common sense, using our brains. You want a New Testament principle that will answer the question of whether or not to drink alcohol? I'll give you one. Look in James 1. In James chapter 1 and verse 27. See what this principle... Here's a pretty all-encompassing principle. In James 1, 27, see what this principle does for this... Get as close to as you can to the line as possible without getting drunk. See what this does to that kind of thinking. James 1.27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Notice this. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Keep yourself unstained. That means you get away from those things that will stain your spiritual garment. You get away from anything that would cause you to compromise your holiness before God. Don't go seeing how close you can get to that line. No, you get away from the line. In fact, look in chapter 4 of James again. Because there we are given a command to get close to something. But it's not get close to the line that separates sin from good. No, James chapter 4 verse 8. James says... Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. You see, we are pursuing after God. We are pursuing after His heart and His character and His things. That is what Christianity is all about. Now, if sin is over there and God is over here and that line is somewhere here in between, 
This line that, in all honesty, I'm not even sure exactly where it is. But I tell you which move I'm making. I'm moving in this direction. I'm moving toward the Lord. Draw near to God. Christianity is about a whole lot more than just doing all the do's and don'ting all the don'ts. It is about drawing near to our Heavenly Father. And I'm going to say right now, if you really believe that recreational drinking, if that draws us nearer to God and doesn't draw us nearer to sin, then would you please come talk to me after services? Because I've got some oceanfront property down in Arizona that I'd like to sell you. You are fooled, my friend. Once again, what we're seeing here is that conventional wisdom isn't actually all that wise. Eventually, though, in this discussion, somebody is going to offer this. Somebody's going to say, well, Josh, don't you know? Don't you know that people drank wine in the Bible? I mean, it's just as clear as day. And that's what conventional wisdom says. It says that if they drank wine in Bible times, well, then that makes it okay for us to drink wine and alcoholic beverages today. Now, of course, like most conventional wisdom, there is a grain of truth in this. It is true that in Bible times, people drank wine. That is absolutely so. But some want that to be the consummate proof that we can then drink anything today. I want to suggest to you this morning that God's Word says, you better be careful about that. You better be careful with how you understand wine and its use in the Bible. For example, the term wine in the Bible does not always mean a fermented beverage. Did you know that? Look in Isaiah 65. I'll just give you one example of what I'm talking about. In Isaiah chapter 65, and this is an easy illustration of this, in Isaiah 65, here the prophet of the Lord, he speaks on behalf of the Lord, and he says this, in Isaiah 65 and in verse 8, Isaiah says, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster... And they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. Okay, right there. New wine in the cluster. That's, what is that? That's just grape juice. It doesn't ferment on the vine. That's talking about unfermented wine. And yes, there were ways, even in ancient times, to preserve grape juice, even without the benefit of refrigeration. It was often boiled down to a kind of pulp or syrup, which could then be mixed with water, kind of how we do today with Kool-Aid. Now somebody's maybe going to say right here, now Josh, are, are you saying that they never drank fermented wine in Bible times? Nope, that's not what I'm saying. I'd look like an idiot if I got up here and said they did not drink fermented beverages in Bible times. After all, the Bible would not be giving all these warnings about alcohol if people didn't have alcohol available to them. But what I am asking this morning is when we see people drinking wine in the Bible, is that automatically equivalent to what we see going on today? Maybe I could illustrate it this way. Look in Exodus 15. In Exodus the 15th chapter, this is the account of the the Red Sea crossing. The people of God, they're celebrating the, the victory over the Egyptian armies. And in the midst of all of that celebrating, we're told in verse 20, Exodus 15 and verse 20, the Bible says that then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, she took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines, notice this, and dancing. Dancing. What if 
one of our sisters here went to a like a nightclub and got out on the dance floor and started engaging in all kinds of you know what would be the equivalent of like our modern dancing the kind of dancing that we see like in rap music videos where there's bumping and grinding and all kinds of lewd gyrations. The kind of things that are designed intentionally to be sexually suggested. Imagine then you go to that sister after finding out about that. Maybe you even see her going into that place. And you say, sister, what are you doing there? Why were you doing that? That was vulgar. That was immodest. That was provocative. That's not the way Christians are supposed to behave. And she then replies by saying, Haven't you ever read Exodus 15 verse 20? They danced in the Bible. We can dance today. Whoa! Hold up just a minute. Isn't there a big difference in what we just read in Exodus 15 20 and what goes on today? Isn't there a huge gap between that kind of dancing, a bunch of women coming together to celebrate the victory of God, and the kind of sexually stimulating dancing that is commonplace today? Absolutely there is. There's a huge difference. And what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that there is also a difference between alcohol in the Bible and alcohol as it is available to us today. For example... There is considerable evidence that Bible wines would be very lightly fermented and were usually mixed with water. Uh, many experts actually believe that Bible wines were only about 2 to 3% alcohol content. In the directions that the rabbis would give for preparing the Passover meal, they would instruct one cup of wine to three cups of water. That makes for a very light wine. In comparison, today's table wines are about 8 to 12% alcohol. Furthermore, you should know that wines in the Bible, no one in the Bible ever drank a distilled alcoholic beverage. Because the very processes to distill grain alcohol, they were not even invented yet. They would not even be invented until centuries later. What that means is, is that means that no one in the time of the Bible ever drank whiskey or tequila or vodka, or gin, or any other kind of distilled beverage that is so readily available to people today. Add to that as well the fact that alcoholic beverages were not widely available in Bible times. Think about it. Everything was made everything was made at home. You didn't have liquor stores and gas stations and restaurants selling alcohol on every single corner like we do here in Somerset. They didn't have brewing companies back then that manufactured this stuff and sold it in mass quantities to people. Add on top of all of that, that the evidence shows that actually people in Bible times really didn't even have a whole lot of other options for drinking and taking in liquids back then as water was not sanitized as it is today. Now, you take all of that, and I could have just kept enumerating all kinds of information like that. You kind of throw all of that into the mix... How is it then that people look at wine being drunk in the Bible? People want to jump to a passage like John chapter 2 and that wedding feast at Cana, Jesus turning the water into wine. People come away looking at that saying, well, if they were drinking back then, I'm drinking now. Does that kind of comparison really actually work? Have you ever heard somebody complain about about their diet and about what they have to eat? Somebody says, I tell you what, my great-grandpa... 
He had scrambled eggs and bacon every single morning of his life. He ate that every single day of his life and he lived to be 98 years old. Yes, he did. He did live that long. But you know what? He also plowed behind a mule every day. He cut his own firewood in the winter. Meanwhile, you sit behind a desk. You type at a computer. Your grandpa never ate a Big Mac. Those places weren't even invented back then. Yes, he did eat bacon. Yes, he did eat eggs for breakfast. You know what else? He also ate homegrown vegetables for lunch. What are you eating? You see, there's a disconnect there. We're talking some apples and oranges here. It's not the same. Yet people will use that same line of thinking to justify just about anything if they really want to do it. And this morning what I'm saying to you is that even though wine in Bible times is not equivalent to what is sold and served today, still, still the Bible had all those warnings to those people of that day and time about alcohol. Now, if God's Word would give such stern warnings about that kind of alcohol, how much more do those warnings need to be stated about the alcohol that is so readily available to people living today? Conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom falls flat on its face once again. The fact that people drank wine in Bible times, folks, that proves nothing. Because from beginning to end, from cover to cover, you go all the way back to Genesis and Genesis chapter 9 and the story of Noah and the problems that he had with alcohol, all the way through to the end of Revelation, God's Word says over and over and over again that the recreational usage of alcohol, it is not wise. Now, I realize that there's going to be some folks who might disagree with all of the stuff that I just said. All of these things that I have tried to present it, hopefully presented faithfully from the Word of God. If that is so, if you are one of those people who, ah, I just didn't really disagree, I didn't really like that, didn't disagree with you know that particular point, or maybe you just disagreed with all of it, then what I would ask you to do today is I would ask you to prayerfully meditate upon the things that we've discussed. Maybe actually go back, get the recording, get on the podcast, listen to this again, maybe outside of, of this environment, get by yourself, sit down with the Bible, and you just listen to this again before jumping to any kind of rash conclusions. If after doing that, if after giving some very thoughtful consideration, at the end of that, if you still don't agree, if you still decide, no... Nah, No, I'm not buying that. In fact, maybe I'm not even buying any of that. Alcohol, I'm not worried. It's not going to damage me spiritually. Then I would beg of you to think long and hard finally about your influence on others. You know, you may have built up all of these rationalizations for drinking alcohol, whatever the quantity might be. Maybe you have sat down and studied about Bible wines. You've looked at the Greek and the Hebrew and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you do. Maybe you feel like you do actually know where that line to drunkenness actually is, etc., etc. But what I'm asking you is what are others thinking? What are others thinking when they see you consuming alcohol? When your children see alcohol in the cabinet, there's liquor in the cabinet, Or they open up the refrigerator and there's a 24-pack of Bud Light. What are your kids thinking about that? When your non-Christian friend sees you hanging out with a bunch of folks and you're drinking Jack Daniels on Saturday night, 
But then you get up and you go to church on Sunday morning. What kind of impression is that leaving on their minds? When maybe an impressionable brother or sister in Christ, maybe a, a, like a new convert, when they maybe learn that, that you do drink alcohol occasionally, and that then gives them the idea, well, well, I guess that means that I can also drink alcohol. If they're drinking alcohol, I can drink alcohol. And that then leads to them becoming intoxicated, maybe even going all the way to the lengths of them becoming an alcoholic. Who led them to sin? Who was it that influenced them? Who was it that placed a stumbling block in front of their brother or their sister in Christ? Think about your influence. You know, I've tried very hard this morning to refrain from interjecting my personal feelings into this lesson. Because quite frankly, I think that consuming alcohol for anything other than medicinal purposes is stupid. That's just my opinion about it. But at the end of the day, you know what? It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't even matter what you think. And you know what? It sure doesn't matter what conventional wisdom of our day and time says. Because Proverbs 14 verse 12 still reminds us That there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. Ask yourself, does alcohol put me on the way of righteousness and holiness and self-control and sober-mindedness so that I can serve the Lord and serve the Lord faithfully? Or does alcohol put me on the other way? The way whose end is death. What's wise about drinking alcohol? Now, in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of encouragement to get you to think about which way that you are headed eternally. There's there's only one of two ways. There is a way that leads to death. It leads to eternal separation from God. The good news of the gospel is, is that there is also a way that leads to life. It leads to an eternity with the person who created you, your God. If you have never confessed your faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and been baptized for the remission of your sins, we'd sure like to help you do that this morning. I realize we've not talked about God's plan of salvation or about what Christ did for us on the cross. We'll talk about those things if that's what's needed. But if you're still just sitting on the dime, then we'd love this morning to help assist you in becoming a Christian today. I had a young young lady obey the gospel earlier this week, our, our new sister, Anna Brooke Swan, so proud of her. That water's ready. Garments are ready. People are ready to assist you in becoming a Christian. It may be, brother or sister, that maybe you started on that way, got sidetracked, got disconnected from where you needed to be connected to, got distracted, sin tripped you up along the way. Brother or sister, get up. Repent. Ask God for His forgiveness. Pray earnestly. If you need to call upon us to pray with you and encourage you in some way so we can help you to serve the Lord in a better way from this day forward, then we stand ready to do that. If we can help anyone this morning to trust and to obey the Lord, this is that invitation. Would you do that right now while we stand and while we sing?